Welcome to another episode of the Stoic Creative Broadcast, where the art of living intersects with the creative process. This is where I introduce you to the great work and insights of today's leading advocates and practitioners of purposeful creation and thriving artistry. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of The Stoic Creative. Identify your purpose, develop a resilient mindset, and deliver better work to the right people. Available now on Amazon or visit thestoicreative.com to download the free chapters. Get the goodness, get guided, and get going. Let's meet today's guest. Welcome to today's broadcast of The Store Creative. These are 30-minute introductions to the great work of today's leading advocates on purposeful creating and thriving artistry. Today, I'm thrilled to have Anthony A. Long as our guest. Uh, he is uh, a professor of classics at Berkeley. Anthony, please introduce yourself to our guest. Welcome to the broadcast. And um, tell us what project you're most excited about or, or working on right now. Well, Scott, it's very good to meet you. And I'm very excited to find that there is such enormous general interest in, in Stoicism. I've been at it a very long time, but that what I mean by at it is not that I think I'm a, a particularly devoted or effective Stoic, but I've been trying to understand ancient Stoicism for over 50 years and writing about it. And um, it's an extraordinary uh, uh, event, I think, that Stoicism has somehow caught the imagination of people and in, in, in all kinds of different ways in the last, I mean, really quite a short time, I would say, in, in the last 10 years. And I don't think I fully understand why that is so. I'd be very interested to hear from your own uh, folk and you, Scott, what, what you think is really uh, behind that, this interest. Um, for me, I mean, my interest in Stoicism began in like 1976 as a seventh grader when it was introduced to me by my Latin professor who, when I graduated from high school, presented his copy of Marcus Aurelius to me as a gift. Um, and it really resonated with me at that young age. And maybe that's odd that, uh, you know, a, a, a teenager would resonate with an old ailing emperor fighting Germanic right, wars right, at the right. border. But I think for me, stoicism, number one, is, is very pragmatic and direct and, and not difficult to discern. Um, it seems like it got some things really right that other ancient philosophies didn't. It, it um, recognizes that we are inherently rational creatures and encourages us to de develop that capacity and to do so um, in a way that is socially just. And, you know, that other aspect of us, you know, from an evolutionary imperative is very important that we are inherently social creatures and that it's part of our, uh, you know, just hardwiring that we um, interact with each other and learn to get along. And then I think the other thing is stoicism is built for difficult times. And um, we are li living in difficult times <laughs> at the moment. No, that's exactly true. I mean, when I started my work, and I think my very first paper on stoicism was, was 1967. So that's a heck of a long time ago. Um, and at that time, my interest in it was entirely um, intellectual, entirely academic. I mean, I found Stoicism, people were writing tons of books about Plato and Aristotle. Stoicism seemed a very neglected school of philosophy. And yet it had been such a major force in the ancient Greek and Roman world for 500 years. And then had a great revival in the 17th century and the 18th century with 
with people like Lipsius. If you read Descartes, sort of not his meditations so much, but his sort of ethics, you can see it's pure Epictetus. So, so then there's a big question of why that changed. And, you know, 19th century, certainly in England, not so much in America, uh, you know, seemed to neglect it. But I only really sort of started to think of Stoicism as something that would help me to live when I wrote my book on Epictetus. It was that, that really turned me around. And I think there was something going on then in the zeitgeist. What you said about us being hired, wired, hard, hardwired, I should say, hardwired uh, in, in our reasoning. But I think it's not just our, our kind of psychological, mental capacities that excited me about Stoicism. It's its holistic aspect. It's that we are actually part, part of nature. You know, the, and so the, the fascinating and, and perhaps most paradoxical thing about Stoicism is that on the one hand, it believes fervently in causal determinism, that everything actually in nature is structured and nothing happens at random. And yet, at the same time, we are de delegated this enormous amount of capacity to organize our own lives. And, and I think that's what is so centrally important about Stoicism today, the idea that to live effectively, both you know, morally and, and happily, is a, a question of um, how you dispose yourself to the world. It's, it's, it's a creative aspect. I think I like that aspect of you know, your own approach. It's not being reactive. It's not, oh, well, we're determined by the conditions outside. We are determined, of course, in a kind of spatio-temporal sense. But what we make of our inner life is, up, is left entirely up to us, which is not to say that it's a subjective philosophy. There, there is an appropriate way to be. But we have to discover that for ourselves. I think that's terribly important. I mean, Epictetus is, again, I think the best, best guide there. It'd be interesting to hear you yourself. I mean, you mentioned Marcus Aurelius. And the three great Roman Stoics, Marcus, Seneca, and Epictetus, seem to me to have not a quite exactly a different take on stoicism, but each one of them is coming at it from a very different point of view. Have you found that and your your followers too? Um, yeah, very much so. I mean, it's, I think one of the questions that I ask when people join, I have a, a Facebook group that's just for members of my site. And I, the, the opening question that I pose is who is your go-to stoic? Right. And everybody has one. And yes. it goes in one of those three. Yes. Um, and Epictetus, first, so I, I, I've read all of, I've read the discourses in the Enchiridion, and I love both because um, what I love about Epictetus is he's kind of got a dark sense of humor. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but at the same time, the, the thing that sometimes turns me off is it seems very um, kind of professorial or didactic or kind. I mean, he's, uh, it, but at the same time, I think he would be a great, I would have loved to have sit, sit at, sat at his feet and um, taken his, you know, his barbed <laughs> challenges. Yeah. Um, because I think that's makes you stronger when you really have to, uh, when somebody's delivering something kind of without, um, without uh, dressing it up too much. Right. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius is reading or is writing to himself. And so that aspect of it, um, really appeals to me that I, because I, I, I live in my head and I get the sense that he's living in his head. We all live in our head, obviously, but um, he's wrestling with things that, you know, I wrestled with as a seventh grader and wrestle with, and some the things that he wrestled with the most, like his mortality, um, is something I continue or wrestle with much more um, uh, acutely now. <laughs> Seneca is the one who I have read bits and pieces of. 
I keep saying I must, you know, read the letters. I must read um, all of Seneca as I've read all of Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. And um, he's the one that, that just resonates the least with me. I don't, but, but when I read simply a quote, I think he's, he's fascinating and I think he's articulate and he's to the point. But when I dive into a complete set of his letters or something, I start to get lost. I'm not sure why that is. Um, you mentioned something about, you know, your first academic paper was written in, in 67. And I'd love to hear, and I also wanted to just mention how beautifully you stated um, the, uh, the, the Stoic determinism, which for people that are approaching this from kind of more of the modern Stoic life hack, optimize yourself with ancient wisdom approach, that part, they don't really want to touch too much. They don't like the, um, the idea that, you know, that we have to, that we have to accept our fate. They, they prefer to believe that they are the captains of their own ship. Um, I personally take a lot of, um, it gives me a sense of, of real uh, tranquility to realize that it's, that it's all predetermined. It doesn't mean that I sit on my butt and wait for it to happen. I have to actively engage with the world and I have to actively engage with um, cultivating, you know, my own virtue and, and, and uh, will and so forth. Um, and that it's, I would love to hear more thoughts on that, but um, one of the, the question I was getting to about the academic approach is stoicism is not frequently a part of um, academic philosophy because it's maybe a little bit too easy to understand and pragmatic and there's not as much to argue about or um, unpack for for the um, unwashed. Um, do, do, do you, you've written extensively on, on stoicism. Do you teach or, or I, did you teach classes in stoicism? Oh, yes, absolutely. And in fact, just in the last semester, although I've been you know, officially retired from regular teaching, I've been teaching a course each time in the last few years. The last course I taught was a graduate seminar at Berkeley on Hellenistic ethics, particularly focusing on stoicism. And it was the largest graduate seminar I've ever had. And um, I, I think a student in that class, and no, I don't think he'd mind me telling you this, um, uh, explained to me how, how he found stoicism an extraordinarily effective philosophy to live with. And this guy had been on the street for four years. He'd been in jail. He'd been, he'd been shot. He was a brilliant student. And I mean, to find somebody who was probably 24, 25, talking to me like this so seriously uh, about a, an academic philosophy that was de developed 2,200 years ago, uh, and still finding it applicable was, was extraordinary. And let me just go back to something you said about the determinism. Um, I've always said in my writing, and I still fervently believe, that you, you can't be a stoic without accepting that there is a power in the universe, which they call divine. They call it God. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, again, going to put a lot of people off because they think of God, you know, in a, in a very kind of biblical or iconic way uh, as a capital G. Whereas the stoic divinity is, is divine in the sense it's, it's exponentially more powerful than any of us can be. But you understand what God is by looking at the world and how, they, how there's this incredible universe is structured. And it's structured in a certain way that we are made possibly, the only beings so far we know, who can actually kind of get into tune with it. And so I think what I tried to say in my last book, The um, Greek Models of Mind, is that Stoicism, and I think this is what was appealing to my student, 
it, it puts enormous dignity on human beings, at the same time conferring enormous responsibility on us. And I think that's, that's what we are perhaps missing today, because we are in a world, thanks to, or not thanks to, you know, media inputs and advertising, which is trying to tell us how to think rather than allowing us to make our own decisions. That's uh, an excellent point. It's, and yes, uh, well, I agree with two things that you said. The first is that you, you, there are some of us that are comfortable being declared Stoics, um, whether, and I don't think we think of ourselves as Stoic sages or anything. We, we're right. students of Stoicism and we're Stoic practitioners. Um, I certainly, after spending my entire life avoiding any label of any kind <laughs> came out as a stoic. Um, and it was only after I, I wrestled with that, diff, you know, that, that difficult part of accepting the determinism, the, uh, the providentiality, the causal. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, the, the, the God part or the divine part, or the, I, I prefer to call it providential or, or providence. It's, the difference is this is not God puppet master right, right. dictating what happens to right. humans on earth, right. not promising you heaven or promising you hell, depending on how you act. It is like this, this force that permeates the universe that exists also within us and that we also exist in that it becomes um, just almost the most beautiful call I can think of to um, that we are all, you know, it is really that concept of we are all one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where it's what, of course, Marcus Aurelius perhaps captures it in the best way for a modern with his notion of nature. Uh, there's nothing in you, nature, which is out of tune. There is nothing in my nature which is out of tune. There's this sense of holistic sort of harmony, which of course is something that Marcus struggles with. We all struggle with it. The idea that it's, I mean, Stoicism is, is, in a sense, is incredibly hard, but that's what makes it so challenging. And I think that, you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more again from you because I, it's not so usual to think of Stoicism as a, um, as a, as a creative um, outlet, outlet. I think perhaps that's, that's something, of, I mean, I know you've got your guitar there. I can see it in the picture. Well, the, the project that, that, that has developed into the book that comes out Sunday um, started off as the stoic guitarist. Um, and that it, it was not about guitar playing and stoicism per se. It was really all about creative creativity and stoicism. So I changed. I eventually gave up on that. that I, I got so tired of explaining what I was really trying to say that I just... Um, but essentially, you know, the things that... that um, creatives and artists struggle with um, is the part where you, you, so uh, the first thing is I argue we're all creative. We all make stuff. You know, we make conversation as we are now. We make emails and we make um, lunch and we make dinner and we make babies. And we, we make stuff. I mean, that's what humans do. It doesn't become an art form until you put it out into the world and, and, and present it to others and say, here, I made this. I hope you like it. And of course, for most artists and creatives that is extremely frightening um because you are opening your you, you become very vulnerable you can be ignored you can be misunderstood you can be reviled um and stoicism presents all the lessons i mean they present it presents all the lessons that every human being needs i think but 
for creatives, you know, just understanding the importance of what's within and without your control and the idea that you must um, continue to do your best and to engage with your fellow human beings, those you can teach, teach those that you cannot endure. <laughs> um, and it's also the, another component of stoicism that really appeals to me is this idea of, uh, you know, kind of built into arete, which, or, you know, the idea of fulfilling your potential of excellence in your endeavor as a human being or as an artist or as a whatever you are. Um, and that call, um, you know, what the book tries to do is lay out kind of a, a process uh, with a basic stoic principle for creatives to experience less of the stereotypical self-loathing and, um, you know, uh, stage fright and uh, writer's block and all that stuff that, you know, hold, all the resistance that holds us back and instead present this process where not only can you push yourself to be the best version of yourself that you can be as an artist, but mm -hmm. also to actually embrace, enjoy, and thrive in that process yeah. uh, because of your ability to, you know, kind of contextualize things that, you know, the unwanted or, or unasked for criticism is not worth your time because it's coming from somebody that doesn't love you and care about you and want you to do better. That's somebody that puts you down to elevate themselves on the, by the same token, you must seek out feedback from, mentors and and people that you know and trust and um you know who want to see you fulfill let um, me put in a word there for sure. uh, for, uh, for seneca uh, i agree with you i think that seneca may be a little less um accessible immediately than epictetus and marcus uh, but I spent, you know, quite a few years along with Margaret Graver, uh, we translated the whole of Seneca's letters. I mean, that book came out a, a short while ago. It hasn't sold as well as it should because it's, they make it very expensive. But I'm, it's going to about come out in paperback in the fall. But the point about creativity, Seneca is the most creative of Stoics in the sense that he is a writerly, he is a brilliant writer. And uh, something you also said about not being alone. So Seneca presents Stoicism as if he's talking to his friend the whole time. It's always, it's, it's a correspondence. It's not lecturing like Epictetus lectures. Marcus talks to himself. Seneca is talking to his friend. And the friend is a, you know, maybe he's a real person, doesn't matter. But he's a foil there for Seneca to kind of to say things like, you know, you know, I, I, I think I'm making some progress, you know, Lucilius. I mean, I, I, there are, I have huge faults to overcome, but I, I do think I'm a little bit better. Or, you know, my, the other day I... I love myself a bit more because my wife seemed to love me. And, and then, you know, he talks about going to the games and the games being even more brutal in American football, coming back feeling worse because he's seen people being bashed about all the time uh, or going to his country estate. And he said, you know, which he's about 65 years old. And he says, this funny, this funny old guy, though, he's got no teeth. And he says, don't you recognize me? I was your boyfriend friend, you know. I mean, so there's that humanity there. But there's also, if you are interested in good writing, there's a there's a there's a sort of texture to the to the work which is different from the others. Um, Marcus, as you say, Marcus is is struggling. He's the emperor. He's got a heck of a job to do. You know, he's got, as it were, North Korea breathing down his neck. What does he do about that? He doesn't like being on the army with, and so there's a sense uh, of I think great struggle and which is very moving. 
But there's also a melancholy there, which I can I find I can't live with that all the time. <laughs> it just I agree with it can be a little bit too schoolmasterly. On the other hand, the the, the manual, which um, I, I'm actually just finished a new translation of that, I'm going to bring out with Princeton. Oh, and um, it's a tremendous challenge to translate Epictetus because he writes this very homely Greek, but to get the right English word for that is is a terrific thing. And um, again, I think he's. Um, I carry him around in my head. I think that's that's where Epictetus is great. You know that there are these. You, you say to yourself, you know, you know, you, you're not having a good day. You know, well, well, what would Epictetus say about that? And uh, you know, and so I think that each of these Stoics has their own point. Now, of course, what I began with was not not these these Roman Stoics. It was with the early, early Greek Stoics, really trying to show that their their philosophical creativity was just as great as that of Plato and Aristotle, different in its own special way. And that's what I've sort of done most of my life on. But, um, and I hope some of your, you know, modern Stoics will delve into some of the more perhaps arcane aspects of Stoicism, you know, if, if they are inclined towards philosophy, you know, logic as well as, um, as ethics. Yeah, the the Romans are definitely seem to be almost all about the ethics, and I, I I've recently come across the whatever fragments are available of Masonius Rufus, uh -huh. um, who's obviously still um, a Roman, but there is a different voice in in his work there is, there as is. well. Um, and you very very articulately kind of um, put each of those voices to the three um, yeah. Roman. I I love that. Um, the other thing that I like uh, about maybe even more so the, the Greek Stoics is how they really, um, they do not back down from a fight and, and they almost yeah, they revel in yeah. the competition with the Epicureans because they realize that it just makes them stronger to have to argue yeah. and, and, and um, support, you know, the, the positions that they're taking in the difficult areas like logic um, and, you know, rhetoric and other, and other, Elements oh, with, with the skeptics, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. taking, taking the stance that there are there is an objective world out there, and we can know it in some sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fascinating. Um, so I I actually did see the the uh, on Amazon um, your I can't remember your your co writers uh, Margaret Graver Margaret Graver, but I, I I have put that in my cart. She's going to be lecturing in Stericon. Oh, fantastic. I'm, yeah. I'll, I, I will be there. Um, excellent. Um, I'll look forward to meeting her. Um, so, and I'm excited to hear about your translation of Epictetus. I think the one that I, the one that I've been, uh, I guess the handbook translation I've been reading is, uh, I can't remember the woman's name right now, but it's called The Art of Living. Oh, Lavelle. Lavelle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. There are um, lots of translations. Yeah. Um, so, What's uh, you've uh, I, I did note that you are um, you're retired in the way that all teachers retire. They retire and then they keep teaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what's what's coming up and what's what's next for you? Um, well, I just finished writing a short essay on Epictetus for a, a volume of, of, you know, philosophers on what on the meaning of life. And the meaning of life is a, is a catchy phrase, and it's not an easy one when you think about it. I mean, sentences have meaning. Uh, uh, you know, words mean have things, but life, can life have a meaning? And so to ask oneself, and I never really put that question to myself, is there, would the Stoics articulate something that we might call the meaning of life, and what would that be for them? So I've been writing a little essay on that, uh, doing the Epictetus. 
Um, but I'm, you know, I've always had an interest in other philosophers besides the Stoics. So uh, I think I, most recently I came back to Plato. And Plato, Plato is very important in a sense for Stoics, or rather, Plato Socrates is, is, is extremely important. Uh, you can see that again with Epictetus. I mean, he loves his, his Socrates. You know, if you have to say to yourself, "I'm not yet a Socrates," but you know, I ought to be a kind of Socrates. And you can get a little bit tired of Socrates, too. I mean, I think you can get tired of anything. I mean, Socrates in prison, you know, saying, you know, you think you can harm me, but nothing can harm me except what I do myself. OK, that, 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 that can, can get a little tiresome. Um, but um, uh, so trying to put the Stoics into their own philosophical context is something I've, you know, spent all my life on. And I'll, I'll try to keep doing it for a while. Yeah, well, it's, it's, as you were saying that, it reminded me that, that some of the Greek um, uh, teachers had were involved in athletic endeavors, as was so Socrates was a boxer, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and then Chrysippus was a runner, and <laughs> Cleanthes, maybe he was also a, a boxer, I can't remember. Yeah, he was quite, quite a tough guy, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and Socrates. Um, well, I mean, in in a way, uh, he is I, I, my my introduction to Stoicism. Actually, led me to go backwards, and for the, a very very long time, I was only reading the fragments of Heraclitus. For some reason, oh, right. Right. that it's so uh, it's so inscrutable and so open to interpretation. I just love turning over, you know, his fragments. Um, but since I got back into, uh, you know, trying to be a little bit more well-read with the Stoics, I have also been reading Aristotle, Plato and Plato's uh, and, and Socrates through Plato. And um, yeah, there's, I, well, there's a lot to admire in Socrates. Um, and, but you've also, I mean, I mean, I'm fascinated that you, you, you've been turned on by Heraclitus because he was an enormously important influence on Zeno and the earlier Stoics. And you see it in Marcus Aurelius. Oh, yeah. The notion of the, the change like the river, you can't step into the same river twice. But also the, the notion of the logos, the notion of, the, of, of a kind of harmonizing universal spirit, which is there already embryonic in, in Heraclitus. Right. Yeah. Well, I, and I do remember all the references that Marcus yeah. made, and it was it was the the, uh -huh. the logos was the, the concept that uh, I, I think I found most engaging. Well, uh, Tony, we are coming up um, on just past twelve thirty, and we want to be respectful of of your time, and also uh, the object of um, having thirty minute interviews is my hope is that the folks that come across um, the live broadcast and then all all the replays are going to be posted around is that people will seek out uh, your great work, which uh, I want to just look you in the eye and thank you for the work that you have done is very uh, important. And you were really kind of very early, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the modern Stoic movement, there was, there was no modern Stoic right. movement when you, you started <laughs> writing, but your, your work and maybe that of, you know, Larry Becker's in uh, 99 or 98, I think of as being kind of like the, is what planted the seeds um, of, of kind of the modern Stoic revival, which, you know, is maybe not a continuation of the development of Stoicism, but is certainly an interesting um, movement that hope, I, I think is doing a great job of kind of raising Stoicism. Yeah. 
profile. And because your work is, is much um, deeper, I would love for you to just, just let people know where online they can either connect with you or connect with, connect with your great work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. No, it's been great to talk to you. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, the fact that so many people now are carrying this torch forward. And I think, again, you know, coming back to the creative notion, there isn't just one stoicism. Stoicism has to be internalized by everybody's going to take certain things from it and give it their own, you know, flavor. I think that's that that's where what's happening at the moment, which is very exciting. It's definitely, I think of it as a living tradition. Yeah. I mean, Greek Stoicism and Roman Stoicism, there's an arc there and there's a yeah. development there that you can see that they're not exactly the same, but you can definitely see the line from one to the next. So where, where can people find um, your, your books or where can they connect with you online, Tony? Um, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a Facebook user. Um, maybe I, I should try to be, but I, I mean, because I'm always available on, 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 on email. Uh, books are easy to find. I mean, you just, you know, Google my name um, and, you know, it will come up or my, my, my homepage on, on um, you know, uh, in, in, at UC Berkeley. I, I think, you know, just Google my name. You'll, you'll get more than, you, more than enough to read there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. There's a lot of, uh, I, I did a, a quick Google search right before we, we jumped on just to see if I could catch a glimpse of what was new and exciting in your life. So <laughs> I do encourage everybody to uh, check out all of uh, Tony's writings on stoicism. There are quite a few and it sounds like um, there's another one coming up very soon. So I'm excited yep. about that. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, remember that the wisdom that Tony just shared is useless until you use it. So if you're still with us, we appreciate your time yep. and attention. And if you'd like yep. to help ensure the continued development and delivery of this broadcast, visit thestoicreative.com and click on the fuel tab in the upper right-hand corner and then decide what to do next. Okay. And now go out there and share go your stories. <laughs> um, Tony, I'm going to ask you to hold on the line for one minute, but thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we are, Really appreciate all the great work that you're doing. All the guests. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Did you enjoy this episode of The Store Creative? Well, then help me spread the goodness and leave a five-star review on iTunes. Tell a friend about the podcast or email me at scott at the store creative and tell me what you think or who I should have on next. It's always great to hear from you. Remember, you can access all the video versions of these interviews at thestoicreative.com. While you're there, grab the free chapters of my book, The Stoic Creative. Identify your purpose, develop your resilience, and deliver better work to the right people. Thanks a lot for tuning in and for your support and participation. We'll see you next time, fate permitting. Thank you.